Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Calfrat Wealth Services Limited second quarter 2021 earnings release and conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to hand the call over to your speaker today, Mr. Scott Treadwell. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, Pasha. And thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. And welcome to our discussion of Calfrac Well Services' second quarter 2021 results. Also on the call today are Lindsay Link, Calfrac's President and Chief Operating Officer, and Mike Olenek, our Chief Financial Officer. This morning's conference call will be conducted as follows. Lindsay will provide some opening remarks, after which Mike will summarize the financial position and performance of the company. Lindsay will then provide an outlook for Calfrac's business and closing remarks. After the prepared remarks, we will open the call to questions. In a news release issued earlier today, Calfrac reported its unaudited second quarter 2021 results. Please note that all financial figures are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise indicated. Some of our comments today will refer to non-IFRS financial measures such as adjusted EBITDA and operating income. Please see our news release for additional disclosure on these financial measures. Our comments today will also include forward-looking statements regarding CalFRAC's future results and prospects. We caution you that these forward-looking statements are subject to a number of known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause our results to differ materially from our expectations. Please see this morning's news release, CalFRAC CDAR filings, including our 2020 annual report, for more information on forward-looking statements and these risk factors. Lindsay, over to you. Thanks, Scott. Good morning, and thank you, everyone, for joining our call today. Before Mike provides the financial highlights of the second quarter, I'll offer a few opening remarks. As you have seen, our results in the second quarter were behind both those posted in Q1 and our expectations, due in large part to operational disruptions and fleet changes in the United States. Although operations in both our international divisions were strong and are expected to continue that trend. Despite spring breakup in Canada, our operations here delivered very good results, and I believe that all of our operations are positioned for a strong second half of the year. To all our staff, no matter where you work, I'd like to thank you all for the hard work and dedication that you bring every day. In the United States, I can tell you that through the first half of the year, our capacity to generate revenue and cash flow has been masked by external issues like weather and client schedulers. As these issues move into the rearview mirror, we expect significant improvement south of the border. I'll provide some incremental detail on the second quarter in the United States. On short notice, 
three of our operating fleets were impacted by schedule changes in June due to a number of issues. These issues are unfortunately a normal part of our business, but to have nearly half our operating fleets impacted at the same time is not typical. Not only do these changes remove revenue and profit from our results, but we cannot simply stop paying our field staff or cancel repairs as all of these fleets went back to work before the end of June and are expected to continue through the months ahead. Additionally, we shifted one fleet between basins, which drove some incremental costs. Finally, we accelerated the reactivation of our eighth and ninth fleets, incurring costs to prepare the equipment and the people. The timing of the scheduled issues was magnified by the reactivations and the redeployment, but results in July have validated the moves we've made to strengthen and focus our franchise. In general, the outlook for our industry has continued to improve over the last few months, with oil and gas prices reaching levels that appear to signal the need for further increases in drilling and completion activity in North America. Our customers have rightly not chased these increases in commodity price, preferring to make smaller adjustments to programs now in anticipation of a more significant increase in capital spending in 2022. Our customers' cash flows have accelerated meaningfully, yet we do not expect to see that incremental cash go into development programs. We believe that the restraint being shown by our clients underpins a rationality to supply that has not been evident in global oil markets for many years. While we expect to see increased demand for our services, CalFrac will, like our clients, not simply chase the market. Having moved to nine active fleets in the United States, I believe our footprint is now sufficient to supply our long-standing clients, but retain some optionality to access incremental work. The current economics of spot market work in North America do not support adding equipment to this segment. And so CalFrac will continue to focus our best and closest partners while examining opportunities to take advantage of any improvement in spot market pricing. We are still a few months away from having real clarity on 2022 plans. So rather than procrastinate, I will simply say that CalFrac will be ready to respond to market conditions as they evolve with the same focus on safety and service quality that is a cornerstone of our business. Now, I will pass the call over to Mike, who will present an overview of our quarterly financial performance. Thank you, Lindsay, and thank you everyone for joining us on today's call. Our second quarter results showed a deterioration from the first quarter due to the seasonal slowdown in Canada, along with unplanned schedule gaps and reactivation costs in the United States. Consolidated revenue in the second quarter increased by 127% year-over-year to $207.3 million, with all operating areas showing significant improvement due to higher utilization levels. Adjusted EBITDA reported for the quarter was $4.4 million compared to a loss of $5.2 million a year ago. Operating income also increased by 183% to $6 million from a loss of $7.3 million in 2020. This improvement in profitability was largely due to the increased revenue generated by all of the company's operating divisions, 
offset partially by approximately $4 million in reactivation and redeployment expenses in the U.S., as well as the impacts of unplanned gaps in our schedule during June. The net loss for the quarter was $30.5 million, compared to a net loss of $277.3 million in the same quarter of 2020. During the second quarter of 2020, the company recorded an impairment of $173.7 million to PP&E and $27.9 million impairment of inventory. In addition, lower depreciation and interest expense in the second quarter of 2021 also contributed to the improvement in the company's reported net loss. For the three months ended June 30, 2021, Depreciation expense decreased from the corresponding quarter of 2020 by $14.8 million to $31.4 million. This decrease was driven primarily by the $227 million impairment to PP&E that was recorded in the first half of 2020, as well as lower levels of capital spending on items with shorter useful lives and corresponding higher depreciation rates. Interest expense during the second quarter of 2021 decreased by $11.4 million from the same period in the prior year due to the significant reduction in long-term debt that resulted from the company's recapitalization transaction. CalFRAC spent a total of $14.6 million on capital expenditures in the second quarter compared to $10.2 million in the same period of 2020. This increase was due primarily to the change in the amount of active equipment between the two periods. CalFRAC's 2021 capital budget remains at $55 million, and the company will monitor market conditions and adjust spending as required. Working capital provided a cash inflow of $15.8 million, largely driven by the timing of payments and receipts. During the quarter, the company completed the rescission of approximately 1 million of its 1.5 lien notes, and an immaterial quantity of warrants were exercised. Subsequent to the quarter, the company converted approximately 0.3 million of face value of 1.5 lien notes into shares. To summarize the balance sheet as at the end of the second quarter, the company had working capital of 152.2 million including $20.7 million in cash. At June 30, 2021, the company had used $0.8 million of its credit facilities for letters of credit and had $155 million of borrowings under its credit facility, leaving $69.2 million in potential borrowing capacity at the end of the second quarter. As at June 30, CalFRAC was in full compliance with all covenants under its credit agreement during the covenant relief period and under the indentures covering the 1.5 lien and second lien notes. I'll now turn the call back to Lindsay to provide our outlook. Thanks, Mike. I will now present an outlook for CalFRAC's operations across our geographical footprint. In general, it appears that the commodity markets globally are signaling ongoing tightness in the physical market, along with concern for the long-term supply-demand balance as chronic underestimate and an ongoing, ongoing economic recovery have become the focus of market participants. It appears the maturation of the North American oil and gas industry has firmly taken hold. Clearly, producers have shifted their collective approach to a focus on returns over growth. Additionally, 
maturation of the reservoirs is a never ending is never ending with most observers agreeing that the industry is no longer capable of producing the level of multi-year production growth delivered over the last 10 years. In short, I believe that resources are getting more valuable and the reaction to that change in value is far more rational than in the past. While we may not see the rapid and massive activity gains of the past, I do believe that our industry is entering a phase of sustained value creation. In our U.S. division, I've spoken about the issues that impacted the second quarter and noted that I feel our franchise is well positioned to deliver meaningful improvement in the results through the second half with nine active fleets. The third quarter is expected to show a significant improvement over even the best months of the first half of the year based on improved and more consistent utilization, better pricing, and improved fixed cost absorption. Recent improvement in natural gas pricing in the Northeast has shifted our outlook for that region to one of cautious optimism, and we're looking for opportunities to add clients in that region. I expect that as the summer concludes, we will see elevated bid activity supporting 2022 programs in all areas of the United States, and we'll have much more clarity on the final months of the year at that time. In Canada, the second quarter unfolded as we expected with lower activity in April and early May, giving our people and equipment a chance to recharge after a busy first quarter. Through the final weeks of the quarter, activity rebounded significantly with June producing results in line with the first quarter. This rapid restart of activity signals to me that the demand for our services will be robust through the second half of this year and our FRAC calendar supports that view. We expect activity levels in the remainder of the third quarter to resemble the first quarter and continue at that level into the fourth quarter. We will market four fracturing crews through the remainder of 2021 based on current frac dates from our major clients. For 2022, we currently expect to deploy a fifth fracturing fleet as well as a fourth coral tubing crew and we'll finalize those plans by October. The incremental frac capacity will be required to service communicated activity increases from our major clients with the coil tubing addition plan to focus on call-out work. Pricing in the Canadian market has begun to move upwards, but as I've previously stated, inflation has driven almost all of the increase to date. There is simply too much equipment in the spot market, and while increased activity will serve to bring balance to the segment, producers are not communicating a high level of concern around frac crew availability in the near term. I do expect that further tightness in the Canadian market will serve to push net pricing higher, but I do not believe that will have a material impact on the profitability of the Canadian pumping space until 2022. I'll now turn to CalFract International operations. In the second quarter, our operations in Russia improved significantly over the prior period as the transition to non-winter operations was completed as expected. Work volumes remained robust during the quarter with job mix and cost management driving a large improvement in profitability. 
The third quarter is typically the busiest in Russia, and work schedules indicate a similar trend this year. While pricing changes are only seen during contract renewal, work volumes and efficiency should support further margin improvement in Q3. Our operations in Argentina showed modest improvement sequentially in the second quarter as work programs continued. While operations in Nuken are by far the largest, our operations in the southern part of the country continue to deliver excellent operating results and returns on a relatively modest asset base. I expect activity levels to, to trend higher through the remainder of 2021, with higher oil prices providing a significant economic tailwind to operations in the southern part of Argentina in particular. Demand for shale fracturing services remains strong, and CalFrac's position in this segment should provide us opportunities to grow our footprint and cash flows in the near to medium term. The last 15 months have been full of challenge for our industry and our company. I'd like to thank all of our team for their efforts in helping us through this period. It truly does look like better days are ahead, and I'm proud to be part of this team as we move forward. Back to you, Scott. Thanks, Lindsay. This concludes the prepared remarks. Uh, operator will turn it back to you to manage the Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Again, that's star 1. Your first question is from the line of Cole Perea with Stiefel. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, just wanted to start in the commentary about the Canadian fleet edition in 2022. So, obviously, the market is still slightly oversupplied now, but demand should take a step higher next year. However, obviously, also a risk that too many uh, fleet editions could cut into pricing. So, I guess, you know, are you are you fairly confident at this point that even with that addition, you can still get higher pricing for that fleet into 2022 as well as the rest of your uh, operations? Yeah, Cole, I think yeah. it's important to differentiate that uh, the, the fleet we're contemplating adding for 2022 is only designed to service existing clients who've talked to us about increased programs for next year. So. In terms of the overall market, yes, there'll be higher demand and, and obviously from our position, higher supply. Uh, but in terms of the spot market, which is really where pricing turns in the Canadian market, at least in a, in a functioning market, the, the planned addition of a fifth fleet is going to have no impact on that. So we don't anticipate it uh, creating any headwinds for our ability to move pricing in a constructive market. Uh, and if the market changes between now and, and let's say, the fourth quarter uh, and, and we don't need to add that fifth fleet and can still support our major clients, then that's the decision we'll kind of take at that time. You know, I, I think we want it to be clear that that's not written in stone. It certainly looks like that's the way the, the cards are going to fall here uh, in 2022, but it's not. Uh, it's certainly not set in stone. But if nothing changes on our client side, that's the way it'll play out for us. Okay, yeah, I got oh, it. Just a follow-up on, on on Scott's comment, that uh, fifth fleet is actually a relatively modest uh, uh, 
reactivation costs on, on it. So it won't take us very long to either stop or start that, uh, that fleet based upon the coming month's uh, activity. Okay, uh, got it, that's helpful, thanks. Um, and for the fourth spread uh, that you're reactivating um, for this quarter, I mean, earlier you had commented you thought um, utilization would be uh, quite spotty, but obviously, you know, activity has kind of surprised the upside. So can you just comment at all on what you expect the utilization for that fourth spread to be into the back half of the year? Um, you know, we don't, we don't give guidance, so I won't be too specific, but I can, you know, give you two points. You know, first and foremost, we wouldn't go back to that fourth spread uh, unless there was uh, demand that we couldn't service any other way. And, and we look at the business from the core clients outwards. And so with our core clients uh, programs for the, the second half of the year, some of them are a little more kind of Q1, Q3 weighted. Uh, and so you get back to kind of that Q1 footprint uh, where we were running four crews. Uh, it's, it's really more of a return to that kind of level. Uh, and so, again, I, I don't think you would uh, see us run a fourth crew if we were expecting it to be 50% utilized. Um, you know, the spot market's never been a big piece of our Canadian business, and I don't think you'll see that. It's certainly not the plan for 2021. Um, if the spot market pricing was 10 or 15% higher than it was, that might be a different answer. We might have a bit of speculation in our uh, in our footprint, but it's just not doesn't make economic sense to have that much capacity in a in a speculative market segment, and so it's uh, it's really all spoken for. Okay, great, thanks. And so, I mean, for the quarter, U.S. EBITDA was negative three million, but obviously a lot of one-time items. So let's let's call it five million on a normalized basis. I mean. Is this kind of a reasonable baseline going forward, and then maybe there's some upside uh, from the uh, the near-term fleet additions, or, how sh or are there other factors we should kind of think about? Yeah, again, I won't, you know, speak specifically about numbers. I, I think maybe what you're adding back might be a little light. I think there, the the impact of that uh, schedule disruption was. Uh, was pretty significant and, and honestly it would probably take some forensic accounting to get the exact number but uh, I think the US on a quarterly basis uh, even if you X out those items it, it's probably uh, I, I think we'd be uh, expecting that as an absolute minimum and likely something uh, much better than that um, on monthly basis we've seen the US perform at a level that would support something better than that. Obviously, I'm not going to give you that kind of detail, but I think we've got some confidence that the U.S. can improve over even a normalized Q2 level, um, not just from the addition of the, the two incremental fleets and the removal of kind of one-time items, but just, uh, you know, more consistent utilization and, uh, you know, hopefully it looks like some, some pricing moving to the upside as well. Okay, I got it. And I guess maybe on that note, can you just uh, give some color around how pricing conversations have been going for the next few quarters in the U.S.? Uh, you know, I think we'll, uh, what I'll say is, you know, we won't, I won't comment too specifically on pricing. We, we try not to negotiate pricing in public, um, find that to be in general kind of counterproductive. Um, I would say generally all of the conversations have been collegial and understanding and moving in the right direction. Um, but I don't want to give the impression that you just knock on a customer's door and they give you more money. Um, they've got shareholders that they're accountable to as well. And so 
they have to make sure they're doing due diligence. If they have to spend more money, they need to know why. And, you know, part of that is, you know, we don't make enough money as a service industry to support uh, investment in our assets over the long term. Uh, but part of it is also around inflation. So I would say it's, it's you know, multidimensional from that perspective, but it's been relatively positive. And, and I think if the macro doesn't change, you'll continue to see those positive conversations unfold. But, you know, I want to be very clear, you, you have to bring value to the table if you're going to move pricing higher on a net basis, uh, you know, it, unless you're going to just lag everybody. So that's that's where we're really focused is making sure we've got something to bring to our customer if we're talking about trying to move price higher. Uh, especially net pricing. Net pricing, yeah, uh, absolutely. As Scott uh, alluded, Cole, uh, cost pricing is, is a relatively quick discussion on, on there, but that that uh, is to be expected when you're running small margins as it is. Uh, you know, No one can really argue that if you have a, a cost increase that you need to capture that back because there's, there's, there isn't margin to absorb that cost. Okay, I got it. That's helpful. Thanks. Uh, that's all for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks, Cole. Your next question is from the line of John Gibson with BMO Capital Markets. Morning, guys. Um, I'll start in, in Argentina. I'm just wondering, and, and apologies if I missed this, have operations largely resumed in the queue, or are you still seeing some issues with the customer there? No, they, we had a little bit of disruption during the quarter with some labor issues, uh, but by and large, field operations are pretty much back to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, there still is some uh, COVID impact, uh, individual uh, crews or uh, maybe a, a, a redeployment of, of crews to take on. Argentina, as a, as a country, is still battling the, the pandemic in a pretty earnest uh, way. Sorry, I was more referencing, uh, you know, in the release you talked about uh, a wellbore issue with the customer, and I'm just wondering if that's largely been sorted out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those things tend to be, you know, days or weeks. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, you move on to another uh, pad if, if they can't resolve it. And so that's that's definitely in the rearview mirror. Um, when you're oh, yeah. thinking about Q3, Q4, that's absolutely fine. Okay, gotcha. Um also, in your release, you spoke to Q3 and Q4 trending in the direction of, of Q1 this year in Canada. So, you know, obviously you had some weather issues during the quarter in, in Q1. Just wondering if we could assume some, you know, modestly higher margins in Canada going forward relative to Q1, obviously pending better quarters, it's just in terms of weather. Um, you know, I'd be a little bit careful. I think we've been relatively clear that net pricing in Canada has, has not been you know, a big positive development through the first half of the year. I don't want to say it's not there at all, um, but there's definitely not as much uh, positive pricing movement in Canada as there has in the U.S., albeit U.S. from a lower level. Uh, you know, you can probably get some margin improvement from consistent utilization and efficiency, but, I, you know, that's, that's typically measured in uh, maybe a couple of hundred basis points. It, you know, if you're talking about getting, you know, 4 or 5% margin improvement, you really need pricing to, to come in. And, you know, let's, let's remember we're in summer, there's a lot of demand for labor, there's a lot of demand for fuel, there's demand for steel. Uh, so I, I would kind of caution about getting too aggressive on margins moving up. Um, you know, not that we know anything today, but there's probably some uh, 
inflationary pressures that we don't see that will pop up at some point before the end of September. Okay, maybe I'll, you know, add on to that, uh, the labor question. Obviously, you've reactivated a bunch of equipment in North America to start the year. Just wondering if you're seeing issues on the labor side, are we able to staff those incremental fleets relatively easily? I mean, nothing is uh, easy, but we have a, a very active uh, recruiting uh, and training program. Uh, we, we've had that, you know, for for probably we started as a company. But it, it, we we can do an intake of new personnel and and uh, at least give them a good chance on field readiness uh, in a relatively short period of time, but. You know, without a doubt, what other uh, companies have said, and I think we've said, uh, it is a challenge right, right at the moment to uh, to get, especially certain kinds of, uh, of experience. Uh, CDL licensed uh, employees are are in high demand uh, from a number of different sectors, and, and so uh, you know, it, it does make it a challenge. But to date, we are. Um, Meeting that that uh, demand uh, on 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 there, and we continue to evaluate uh, the the marketplace. But we are we are very aggressive in in um, in the hiring market, uh, using all the different forms of technology to uh, to make that happen. Have you seen some cost inflation uh, in order to to do so, just on the labor side? No, I mean there. We're we're keeping costs relatively consistent with uh, with where they uh, have have been. Where the employees, I think, are are uh, seeing the benefit is in you know again higher utilization. So either in overtime or bonuses, depending on which country you're you're in from a for an increase. But relatively. To the stage count, that that doesn't change the number a whole lot. And and John, I okay, think great. from a uh, labor inflation perspective, you you know what we would do, and I think probably most of the industry would do is if we were raising labor rates to attract people, the first thing you would do is would be to pay your people that work for you today more, and you know then potentially have uh, hiring incentives and things like that as well to to kind of sweeten it for the people who work for you today. Uh, and then that obviously leads to uh, higher wages when they come in the door. But you certainly wouldn't, uh, you know, raise rates for new employees without considering what's going on with our existing employees. Okay, got it, thanks. Um, last one for me, we're hearing from your peers that incremental equipment in Canada will require upgrades to, you know, dual fuel or tier four. Just wondering where your parked equipment in Canada sits in terms of its dual fuel capabilities. I know you spoke to, you know, minimum, minimal uh, upgrade requirements or activation capex for that fleet. And are you seeing demand for upgraded equipment to tier four status as we move forward here? Uh, okay, there's just a couple of parts in, in, in there. I think we are satisfied with our level of, of dual fuel uh, Deployment in Canada, uh, so I don't think that we, for the next fleet that we would be talking about, it's going to be a dual fuel. For for Tier Four, and 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 that while there's always demand from our client to have us add more horsepower into the marketplace, which would again probably seem to 
keep pricing in a in a depressed level. I think everyone has also been pretty cautious on redeploying more capital to to that uh, to that level. The you know the tier four is a is a great is a great uh, improvement uh, from the on, on the offering that's out there, but you know it is basically a million dollars to upgrade a frac pump on each of those. So it does make uh, it does make it a challenge to get that to get that cost recovery, and the you know there is some substitution benefits. Then maybe there's limited uh, environmental benefits on 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 there, especially in in uh, remote areas. So, so we're evaluating. We are, you know, we have a, a, a small amount under construction, not here in in Canada, but um, it, it, it's a well-proven technology. But we're still waiting. Um, we haven't seen the demand to justify, you know, full fleet conversions. Got it. Um, appreciate the responses. I'll turn it back. Thanks, John. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that's star one. At this time, there are no further questions. I would like to turn the call back over to Scott Treadwell for any closing remarks. Thanks, Pasha. Thanks, everybody, for uh, your interest today. Uh, the management team will be around if you have any follow-ups, and we look forward to speaking to you uh, when we release our Q3 results later this year. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This does conclude today's conference call. We thank you for participating and access to now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.